Recording um, in progress. And uh, what uh, it consists of is, well, some introductory remarks uh, by Dogen, but then uh, each uh, precept, he wrote um, uh, a verse uh, to, to, uh, to honor, to honor each, each precept. And um, you may be familiar with these verses, even though you don't think you are, because if you've been here, some of you have been here when we've done full moon ceremony. And when we do the full moon ceremony, uh, the, uh, there's a call and response uh, portion of the ceremony in which we uh, recite the precepts. And sometimes um, we lead and, and, and there's a ch chant cantor here called a Kokio who um, uh, recites a verse or sometimes the Kokio leads and we recite uh, the verse. Um, when it comes to the <coughs> uh, what we call the ten uh, clear mind precepts or the ten grave precepts, uh, at that point um, also the, um, the assembly uh, chants the precept and the kokyo chants the verse. And the verse that's, that the kokyo uses is not exactly Dogen's words. It's kind of a precy of Dogen's words, even though Dogen's words are quite short. Uh, but this is even a little shorter version of Dogen's um, versifying the precepts in, in this text. Uh, so uh, in this text, uh, when we chant uh, the first uh, grave precept, which is a grave precept in almost every world religion, is the same. The first precept is the same. And, and, and we say, uh, I vow not to kill. And the Kokio uh, says, answers us with this verse. Uh, by not killing life, the Buddha tree seed grows. Transmit the life of Buddha and do not kill. Uh, then there's uh, a second um, precept that's also common to every world religion. Uh, we frame it this way. I vow not to take what is not given. In other words, I vow not to steal things from other people. I vow not to take what is not given. And the Kokio answers, the self and object objects are such as they are, two yet one, the gate of liberation is open. And there are 10 of these, but I'm gonna just give you three tonight. The last one I'm going to mention is um, in this full moon ceremony, we chant, I vow to refrain from false speech. I vow not to lie. Again, a precept, commandment, if you will, common to all 
world religion. And the Kokio answers, the Dharma wheel turns from the beginning. There is neither surplus nor lack. The sweet dew saturates all and harvests the truth. The sweet dew saturates everything and harvests the truth. So, as you can see, um, Dogen, in his comments on the precepts, it doesn't merely uh, parrot them back to us. Uh, rather, what uh, he does is um, uh, turn them around a bit. He turns them around from um, prohibitions to um, a positive description of, of absolute reality. He says in his comments, this is the way things really are. The way things really are in his vision of not killing is that what we, what, what in his vision of our world, what our world uh, really is, actually, not what it could be, but what what the what the dharmic world, if you will, we'll call it the dharmic world. What the dharmic world is is a place where life is protected and supported and encouraged. So we see, do not kill. We also mean support life, protect life, encourage life. That's what we mean. That's what Dogen, that's his vision of a dharmic precept. Do not kill. And, and similarly, he says with stealing, he has a vision. And it's, it's not, it's, there is a prohibition, but there's also an encouragement. And an encouragement is to practice giving, to, to understand through giving the lack, you know, the lack of separation between self and others and the interconnection, even better to say in positive sense, the interconnection between ourselves and others. Practice that. Do not steal, yes, but but there's something positive to practice. Practice interdependence. Practice the, we just chanted the harmony of difference and unity. Practice the non-discrimination between self and others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Practice giving. Because when you give, you're giving to yourself as well. And his vision of not lying is in a similar vein. 
speak the truth. And in his vision, nothing, nothing can be done except speaking the truth. It's, it's what naturally occurs. It's, what, it's, it's overflowing and it's touching everything with you know, sweet dew, harvesting the truth. The truth is just the way things really are. The way things really are is the truth. And don't, don't overlook that. Don't neglect it. Uh, study it. Uh, study yourself and see uh, how much you, you, you value and, and um, are moved by the truth. And live for the truth. So, you know, right now, you know that in our world, all these precepts, these three and all the precepts are being cruelly, cruelly violated. By war, which is the cruelest form, the most thorough form of violating these precepts. And, and because of this violation, and because, of course, it's, it's, it's actuality, you know, we see this great suffering right now in Ukraine and other places in the world, but where our attention right now is quite a bit focused on what's happening in Ukraine with this invasion unjust invasion and, and the consequences which are terrible terrible ignoring people's very right to life and destroying the infrastructure of a whole country on which life depends People have to have places to live. People have to have water and power and all those things to, to live. And all that's being systematically and cruelly destroyed. And we're suffering. When we see this, we're suffering for the people of Ukraine. And we're suffering uh, because we see... I, I think we, 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 we suffer because we see how devastating it is when um, these precepts are ignored, or these principles of life, life itself, really, 
are ignored and um, trod on in the most aggressive and horrible fashion. And, you know, in addition to all that, uh, we feel helpless to do anything about it. Uh, even, even the governments of the world are paralyzed. Even though, even the people who, you know, could bring opposing weapons to bear and so forth, they're paralyzed. And nothing, and we feel, you know, the world, the world feels quite helpless in this situation and, and, and quite overwhelmed to see this, this destruction. But you know, there, there, we can't just, uh, we just can't, I don't think it's called on, a, what we're called on to do is not to wallow in our helplessness. Um, uh, we, we, we can do something, however small it may be. One of the things we can do, which I, I've been having a really hard time with this, but um, I'm trying to stay, I'm, tr I'm trying to stay calm in the midst of this because I, I realize that if, you know, to be effective, you, you, you can't get too wrought up. I feel a little wrought up a lot by this, but I, I know that if I'm wrought up, I really can't be effective. I can't, I can't really, I, if I was in a position to help, I couldn't help if I, you know, if I was on the ground in Ukraine, it wouldn't do me any good to be all upset. I would just, I would want to be calm, and that's the way I could help. So I think I, sh I think I should be, I should try to be calm right here. I should be try to, I should try to calm myself right here. Because, because I think that might be part of how to help things. Is just try to stay calm. And the other thing that I feel is really to study these precepts and to recommit to these precepts. To see, to see a vision of a world, of a world that was governed by these precepts. However much, you know, you may say I'm a dreamer. You may say Dogen was a dreamer. But I think I think it's important at this time to to hold to our vision of a world without war. I I want us to hold to a vision of a world without war.
I came of age um, during the Vietnam War. And there's been a lot of wars since. I've talked in this sangha before about protesting the Vietnam War as a young man in college. And um, thinking that um, I could make a, a violent response uh, to that violence and somehow be effective. And I tried that. And as I've confessed here before, I was arrested and I was jailed for my activities, one particular activity that I undertook in protest of the Vietnam War. And when I look back on that, I don't think, well, I didn't keep calm and I didn't uphold the precepts and it didn't help. Later, um, in the 1980s, there was um, a war in Central America, two wars, El Salvador and Nicaragua. And I protested that war as well. But I did that war was after I practiced in a monastery. <laughs> and I protested nonviolently. And I was arrested again, but uh, only for sitting someplace where I wasn't authorized to sit where the police said I couldn't sit. And so I was arrested with a bunch of other people. And in that case, I was just taken to uh, jail and then released. No charges were filed. And then, you know, there was Now there were wars. There was the first war, actually the first war in um, in Iraq was the impetus for um, uh, the birth. One of the, it was the impetus for the birth of the Sacramento Buddhist Meditation Group, which, which what ultimately became the Sacramento Buddhist Meditation Group was motivated by the first Iraq war and how upset people were about that war. And people came together around that in 1991. And, and partly out of that response to that war, uh, we started Sacramento Buddhist Meditation Group So 
I guess that's my progression, you know, from throwing rocks to uh, sitting in to sitting, just sitting with the situation. I was in I was in some company um, this week, last week, and a person in that in in my company I heard them say um, something like, um, "There have always been wars, and there always will be wars, and that's just the way it is." And I didn't say anything at that time because it didn't seem like the right time and the right place to say anything, but I want to say something tonight about that. I want to say, I, I want to recommend that we reject that kind of fatalism. I think we really should reject that kind of, of, of thinking and and I understand that I I understand that saying that is a, looking at that that way is is maybe a kind of self protection. You know, if I just deny, if I just um, say it'll always be like that, then somehow I can protect myself from the reality of of that that which is. That, that what is happening. Um, so I understand that 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 may be part of the motivation, and I, you know, I'm I, I look compassionately, I look compassionately on that from that point of view. But I think uh, to have you know more introspection, you know, to, that we can have more introspection about that. And and if we see that, you know, kind of. Oh, there'll always be war. The people have been fighting forever, you know, coming up. I think I think we should, um, I would like to suggest, I would like to propose that we find another way to think. And I would like to propose that we, we say, you know what I think? I think that we need to find a way to have a world without war. And you know what? We, our life depends on it. The, the life, you know, the life of, of humanity depends on finding a world, a way to have a world without war. We don't have much time left to figure this out. It's urgent. It's really urgent that we find a way to settle our disputes, to resolve conflict without war. But we've let a lot of water go under the bridge. And it's getting late.
It really is getting late. We've let despots flourish in this world. We've let people become isolated and confused. And it's easy for human beings to become confused. I was confused as a young man. I'm still confused. But I'm following some precepts now that helped me tremendously uh, know uh, what to do, how to behave, uh, when to keep my mouth shut, and when to speak, and when I speak, to try to speak the truth. There was a uh, there was a moving article, um, you know, in um, in um, the countries that are close to Ukraine. The people there have an opportunity to they have an opportunity to directly not be helpless. They can actually, you know, go down to the railway station with these train loads of refugees coming in and greet them and take care of them. And, uh, you know, one of those countries, one of those countries that's doing that is Germany. And as you know, Germany has, you know, really turned around from uh, uh, showing um, some a, a new face to the world that in 70 years ago, Germany was an aggressor nation attacking all of its neighbors, and including Russia, where, by the way, more people died in Russia in World War II than in any other country in the world. Millions died in Russia. Millions. And in Ukraine, as well. Over a million Jews died in Ukraine. But now, Germany is a different country. A complete, and it's, an, it's, it's kind of a wonderful, I mean, hopeful example to the world that a country that perpetrated that kind of horror on the world and now is a model of receiving refugees and taking care of them. And uh, there was a, um, anyway, there was this article in the New York Times, uh, not this last Sunday, but the Sunday before. And I'd like to read a little bit of it. This is, uh, you'll, you'll see. After an anxious eight-day journey, fleeing a war that has since swallowed his hometown in eastern Ukraine, 15-year-old Dima Chorny stepped off a train at Berlin Central Station. He was welcomed 
by yellow-vested volunteers handing out cups of hot tea and uniformed stationed employees issuing free tickets for onward travel. There were piles of clothes and shoes neatly stacked by gender and age. Smiling Berliners had turned up with handmade signs offering rooms and beds to exhausted refugees. And then there was the elderly lady who walked up to Dima, tears streaming down her cheeks, pressing a hundred euro note into his hand and saying, welcome. She made it real, said Dima, who was standing by platform three, his hands on two large suitcases, his eyes on his seven-year-old sister as they waited for their parents to return with tickets. We were finally safe, he said. So, you know, as people of the way, this is the kind of story we resonate with. Welcoming the stranger. Welcoming the stranger who is no different than ourselves. Who has exactly the same needs for safety. As we do. Who is no different than ourselves. I, I was, I think my, my first reaction was in, in, when this started, I, I was just sort of, in, you know, there were a lot of people in Ukraine who said, this isn't going to happen. And they were being slowly surrounded by, you know, Russian troops. But they, people were saying, no, no, this is, the Russians are our brothers. They're not going to, they're not going to really invade. And then they did. And so there was there was a lot of disbelief. There was a lot of, and and I was I was I was trying to be in that camp. I wanted to disbelieve that this was going to happen. That's 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 I was trying to wish this away. And so when it did happen, I was still in disbelief, and I was so shocked. And then I realized that um, over the last couple of weeks that my disbelief and shock has turned into grief. Just grief. Grief. And the grief is it's a deep grief because it's a it's a it's a it's a grief for like I was saying earlier, for humanity. This this I think Dora Lee said something like, we can't have war anymore. And that's right. We can't have war. But then, so there's a lot of grief that, um, that, a, that this, this terrible war has now landed on our doorstep. 
there is something we can do. We can support, we can support the, the organizations. We can't, we can't welcome the people at the train station because they're too far away, but we can support the, the, the organizations, the, the many organizations that are aiding refugees. And that's why uh, I ask you to, if you have funds that you would like to put tonight in the basket, we'll, we'll send that to, to the refugee organization, um, United Nations Human Rights Commission. And, you know, so that's something we can do. We can at least send money. We can at least, you know, and many people are doing that. And if you've already done that, then thank you. And, you know, don't, don't feel obligated to, you know, donate tonight. I know a lot of people have already done that. Um, and I, 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 I've been doing it. Um, so there is something we can do, and we can, we can uphold these precepts. I really, I know it seems like, well, if I just hold, if I just uphold the precepts, how is that going to help? Well, if you do, and you do, and you do, and you do, and you live that way, and you show people that way, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Absolutely makes a difference. There's no question in my mind it makes a difference. I'm going to end with a, with a poem. Um, this is a poem I I've got, I go back to every so often, um, and it's a poem about our our mutual life, our life as um, brothers and sisters. In this human family, and it's it, but it's not just a, it's also a poem about uh, we need to pay attention. We really do need to pay attention. So I'll try to read it slowly because poems are are hard to get sometimes, and this is a good poet, so he uses language in a you know different way than than daily language. So you have to listen carefully, but I'll read it slowly. It's called A Ritual to Read to Each Other. A Ritual to Read to Each Other. It's by William Stafford. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world. And following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade 
holding each elephant's tail. But if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel and maybe the root of all cruelty to know what occurs but not recognize the fact. I call it cruel and maybe the root of all cruelty to know what occurs but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote region in all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no, or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. Thank you very much. given a very heroic talk and your signals are clear uh, so thank you for the clarity um, I have kind of a survivor's guilt thing where my life is okay right now but on the other side of the world at this very moment there are people whose lives have been destroyed turned upside down And then I have to ask, what, where does self-defense come in to the not killing? I, I don't know what, you know, when this situation comes to your country, what, what do you do? Um, so that's my question, a tough question. Yes. Tough question. I I don't I do know that um, that the that the way that uh, countries are responding is by sending um, more weapons to um, Ukraine and. And maybe there's some countries that are sending more weapons to Russia, although I think they have quite an arsenal. 
And of course, that's a natural, you know, thing to do when somebody <coughs> is being attacked. You know, that's that's this is this this is the common response. But it's never worked. It's never worked. Thank you so much, Jim. At, at certain points in your talk, I felt like saying, Amen. <laughs> um, in, in a strange kind of way, I felt somewhat comforted to hear how much you're struggling with how upset you are inside. Uh, because that's also true for me. Um, it's like every day it, I'm wrestling with it. And the only thing that helps for me is to say, um, this is the reality of what's happening. And I can stand in it somehow or hold it. Um, but also needing to do something or express and in the helplessness, but I mean, there's this tiny little things. I made these little like, like construction paper prayer flags and took them to the Arboretum in Davis. And I wrote, no more war. And I hung it on a branch. And, you know, I felt sort of silly, but this woman walked by and she said, thank you so much for hanging that flag. So I don't know, it just felt like Maybe we need to say that out loud over and over, and that's what other people are feeling and thinking, but are scared still or something. Um, it's it's another way to, you know, try to live the vision, not be, succumb to what's happening. So thank you. Thank you. You know, there's a oh, Linda, yeah. Did you call on me, Jim? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, oh, I've got a bad echo. Thank you. <laughs> Fixed. Um, the issue of self-defense was uh, Reb Anderson on Saturday was asked about that. And um, by a woman from Finland who was obviously... <laughs> Uh, more affected by this war than than we are here um, because it's not that far away from from her and <clears throat> Reb um, 
said that, um, you know, there's no instance of, um, of the Buddha ever, um, engaging in self-defense killing, but there is a story of, uh, from his, uh, when he was a bodhisattva in the past, he had been in the position of, um, killing a person who was going to be a mass murderer. And, um, and he did save those people, but the intention was not only to save those people, but to kind of absorb the karma of the person who was going to become a mass murderer, which is kind of a fascinating um, aspect of that. And, um, you know, just, it, it, it's hard. I mean, you can imagine possibly people today are having to make decisions about saving a child or something like that. And it's not, not an easy, um, not an easy, apparently the, he said, apparently the uh, Dalai Lama has been asked that question and, and both Rab and the Dalai Lama, it's like, there's always another choice, hopefully. <laughs> um, but the Dalai Lama did say if he was in a similar situation where it was one person's life versus many, um, he probably would push the button and absorb that karma. So let's hope none of us are ever put in that situation. And, and just in general, Jim, thank you so much for, for the talk. It's um, so heartfelt and, and so um, amazing intention that you have to save all beings. Thank you. Uh, you know, this line, that's, I repeated it twice in the poem. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. And when I read that line in this poem, I, I, because, I, 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 you know, it's, giving a talk like this is not is so easy a talk to give, but I read that line and I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I. That's how I feel about it. Is is like there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in this poem. So elephants in the poem, but the elephant in the room is this war, you know. And we we should talk about it as a sangha. At least you know acknowledge that it's here. And it, to not to not acknowledge and go, you know, simply you know, um, on as if it wasn't happening. I, I can't do that. I'm. I can't do that. So, because I think it is, I think it, it is kind of cruel to 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 not acknowledge um, what is so so present in our in our world. We're, we we need, you know, I'm I'm of the school of being connected to this world. Uh, um, I I mean I have gone off to live in a monastery, and it was a wonderful wonderful thing for me to do. I mean I I highly recommend it to to uh, anyone to to do that for a time in their life it's 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 absolutely a, you know a, 
wonderful and, and greatest gift you can really give a person. And uh, but but you know, to me, it's it's like return to the marketplace and talk about and 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 help this and help this confused and confusing world however we can. Yeah, Philip, Sarah, I mean. There's a spiritual, and I don't know the, uh, I can't sing the, the whole part, but the last lines are, uh, let there be peace in this world and let it begin with me. That is something I can do because there's conflict around it. So let there be peace in this world and let it begin with me. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, that's, I, I, I feel that, I feel that too so strongly. And it's so easy to get so upset and not, you know, not be, And I think it just as I was saying, it, you can't really be helpful if you if you're if you're if you're so upset and wrought up and it you know that there, there's a you know that thing Churchill said you know keep calm, then carry on you know. And I think so. I think that's I think that's right. Stay at peace. And stay at peace, and then and then and then. I mean, look at Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, what a what an incredible example of we you know we just lost Thich Nhat Hanh, of, but a you know a great peacemaker maker who 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 never thought about you know lifting a weapon or or if, you know acting in self defense. Uh, I mean, he did have to go into exile, but he chose that versus you know doing. Doing something, you know, violent, and you know what an example he set to the world of someone who was peace. You know, Cody. Yeah, and just as everybody else has been saying, <clears throat> I really appreciate you giving this talk, and putting a name to the fact, to bringing it into the room, to bringing it into the forefront of everybody's minds and having the courage to say it as well. Because there's many times in my own life where I've had the opportunity to say something and I haven't. And um, like you said, uh, I don't think we have much room for that kind of complacency or inability to muster up courage to say something that needs to be said. So I really appreciate and um, thank you for that as an example. And uh, I was reading um, the book In the Buddha's Words and kind of going back to some of the suttas the other day. And in one of the suttas, it was talking about what is the Somebody asked the Buddha, you know, what is the, the impetus, the cause for wars, for violence? And he says, 
you know, when one is um, enmeshed or used a different word with greed, hate, and delusion, he starts with anger and progresses to picking up clubs, to picking up rocks and all these things. But it's so interesting that that's where he started, was with the person, was with the interpersonal communication with oneself. And of course, there, like, like you're saying, there are definitely things that we can do, donations, and if we're closer to the front lines, being able to give time. Um, but I think you're also pointing to something that holds really true. The moment-to-moment -moment experience of upholding those precepts, that's where, that is really the impetus of, I mean, to show somebody that suffering kindness, to lend them an ear. I, I, I don't see how, I don't see there's any other way if we don't do those things. Um, and I remember there was another story of, I can't remember it exactly, but even in the Buddhist time, you know, somebody that's in the suttas that's supposed to be omniscient and all-knowing and all this stuff, still trying to negotiate from two sides of his family to not go into war with one another. It's, um, yeah. Thank you for your talk. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a great, that's a great note just to think about is, um, you know, if, if I leave you with something tonight, it's what Cody said, framed this way. How can, how can I be a peacemaker? How can I be a peacemaker? I mean, and it doesn't have to be, you know, we're, we're not all going to, like I say, we're, we're no, nobody here is going to stop this war, but but we all can ask ourselves that question: How could I be a peacemaker in wherever you know situation I'm in? And um, and let let that be your work. Let that be your work. Whether it's your family, you know, your group of friends, your sangha. How can I be a peacemaker? Yeah, Barbara. You better, no, oh well, okay, I guess. Thank you so much for this heartfelt, moving, stirring of the blood talk. Um, you started to mention this. I, I think it's having this conversation, not just amongst our saga and our peer group, but having this conversation with people, um, that's not turning away. And we can never know the effect of our conversations out into the world. We can never, we don't have the capacity to understand the reach. So it starts with conversations with people outside of this room as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it starts actually with a conversation. <laughs>
as, as, as Sarah was saying, you know, let it begin with me. You know, we're, we're having, this is an ongoing conversation <laughs> with, with this heart, you know, with this mind. How can, how can, how can I be peaceful person how can i be helpful how can i not how can i reject anger um or skillfully you know act in the midst even if anger comes up maybe there's a reason for you know maybe there's a reason anger should be here so how can i be skillful when anger is here you know how can i be skillful when it, when you know the, um, linda mentioned this story about you know um, buddha when he was a bodhisattva and you know he, the murder but there's also many other stories of the buddha where there's way more stories like this which is there were some hungry tigers and the buddha said oh you want something to eat well here take me you know so there, there's a lot of stories like that too <laughs> so um i mean we there's a, there's a thousand stories in the big city. Oh, Malia. Well, I was just going to say that, <clears throat> excuse me, your talk brought me back to 9-11, actually. Um, when I, we were living in New York City, and for me, it's a very walled-off experience, which I never even, occasionally on 9-11, I go there in my head and stay there for a few hours, and it's so overwhelming, but um, this is bringing it back to me. And then closely associated, you know, when the U.S. started dropping bombs in Afghanistan, and... Um, I happened to be in a Starbucks at that time, and I was reading, and people, everyone was whispering something was going on, and about when the, you know, the war had started, and um, so I left, and I went to this. I was in, we lived in at that time. We were staying in Connecticut, and I was in a downtown, and I went to a bar that was on the same block, so I could find a TV, and. Um, there were a couple people in the bar, and it was so disorienting, you know, because here we were the aggressors. Um, and <clears throat> so anyway, I asked for a seltzer just to order something. And um, anyway, the thing I remember most about this, and it stands out so, it looms so large in my mind, is after all this happened and, you know, it was very disorganizing, really, you know, um, and I went to pay my bill and the bartender didn't, didn't take my money. Um, I mean, I think I was visibly very upset and I don't know, it just, it's such a tiny thing, you know, he didn't take my $2 for the seltzer, but it's like such a big thing too. <laughs> like, you know, all these years later, I remember this kindness or this just connection, I guess you know, um, or this awareness from this stranger, you know. Anyway, I wanted to echo what people are saying, that the small things become very big. Well, that's, that's so funny because this week, or 
late last week, I went to my health club and I was taking a shower and then a guy came out of the shower and he, I wasn't looking and he picked up my towel and started drying himself off with it. I said, oh, that's my towel. And he said, oh gosh, I'm sorry. And he, he took my towel, he wrapped it around himself, went out of the lobby and got me a dry towel. And I, I actually started to cry. <laughs> Because, it, you know, because, and it's not because of that, you know, it's because of what's happening, you know, it's like, like, you know, because that's the way we're meant to treat each other. That's the way we're meant to treat each other. Of course, that's the way. When you see it actualized like that, it just breaks your heart. If you're, if you're, if your heart's on your sleeve, which is like how it is for me sometimes. Thank you so much.